Now we're going to read uh, from Hebrews uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 14, and into uh, chapter 5. And we're going to be thinking about Jesus, our great high priest. And uh, just to stick with Psalm 13 for a moment, what we have there is is David the king uh, lamenting, feeling that sense of isolation um, from uh, his God, uh, feeling surrounded by his enemies, yet praising God and trusting in God's constant covenant love. And then we come to Jesus um, in his life, and there we find too uh, a king who knew what it was to feel a sense of forsakenness, surrounded by enemies, but still trusting and faithful and obedient. And one of the things about Jesus being our great high priest is his ability to identify with us in trouble and suffering. And the fact that Jesus can sing this psalm and would have sung this psalm speaks powerfully of the sense to which Jesus took on full humanity and identified with us so that we too can sing psalms like Psalm 13 with trust and with hope and with praise even when we find ourselves lamenting. But let's turn now in God's word to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. We're going to read from verse 14 uh, to chapter 5 and verse 9. So let's hear the word of God together. Therefore, Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Amen. So we're thinking about Jesus, our great high priest. It'd be really helpful if you have uh, your Bible uh, to hand. Um, So we're going to be thinking about the mystery at the heart of our faith, uh, the incarnation and, and what that has to say. We've been thinking about Jesus, our great king, for the last few weeks in church today. Jesus, our great high priest. Because I think it's important that while we recognize and often our experience of Christmas is a time of great joy and happiness, 
Um, when life is difficult, um, even at Christmas, sometimes especially at Christmas, uh, one of the things that can happen for people who are, are suffering and they're surrounded by joy is it's easy to feel uh, far more alone than ever. It's easy to feel far more cut off uh, from people than ever. Uh, so Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16, where we're going to spend our time, it provides wonderful comfort because it says uh, for Christians the very opposite is true. It reminds us of Christ in heaven and the reality that he is just as open and tender towards sinners as he was when he walked on the earth. The great mystery of our faith. G.I. Packer puts it this way, the baby born at Bethlehem was God made man. Uh, He who made man was learning what it felt like to be a man. And I want us to think about this this coming of Jesus and and the journey that he made from the glory of heaven uh, and to think about its significance uh, when we come to a text like this, to think about Jesus, our great high priest. To think about what makes Jesus a great high priest and what difference does it make to our faith? What makes him great? What difference does it make? Very briefly, what difference, what makes Jesus a great high priest? If you if you have your Bibles, if you look at the beginning of chapter 5, uh, our author identifies key aspects for uh, those in the Old Testament who are called to be priests. Uh, so verse 1, uh, we discover that they were selected from among the people. Uh, their task was to represent the people in matters related to God. Principally, uh, they were to offer sacrifices uh, for sin. And we discovered in verse 2 a a certain quality uh, that the high priest was able to deal gently um, because of weakness. And then in verse 5, in verse 4 and verse 5, we discover too uh, that people were appointed not on their own uh, determination, uh, but because they were appointed by God. So we, so we have these uh, qualities of the Old Testament priests, but we also discover some limitations. In chapter 5, verse 3, we discover that every Old Testament high priest was a sinner, offering sacrifices for the people, but also for themselves. And then if we were to skip forward to chapter 7 and verse 23, another fundamental limit of the high priest's says there, 723, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. So they were all sinners and they all died. Um, and that's where Jesus is better. You know, the, one of the great themes of the book of Hebrews, Jesus is better. Jesus is better because he is eternal and the sinless son of God uh, who was appointed by his father as our high priest. Now, to get to our text, three reasons from our text, why Jesus is our great high priest. Uh, The first, let's call it solidarity. Uh, Jesus standing for and standing with his people. Uh, In verses 14 to 16, we have an anchor verse, which is verse 15. And then we see two implications um, from the anchor verse in verses 14 and 16. Uh, And verse 15 centers on solidarity, Jesus standing with and for his people. And we see this in, in, in three ways. And we see Jesus' sympathy in weakness, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weakness. And this takes us straight to the, the incarnation. 
God becoming man, God taking on human flesh. What does that mean for Jesus? It, it means he volunteers to know this humiliation, to, to be born in a low place, a low birth and a low condition, for that to be the pattern of his life, one of humility and humiliation. The incarnation is showing us the depth of, of Jesus' humility and love. And the incarnation is necessary for Jesus to truly represent us. So remember, the high priest has to be from among the people. So Jesus had to become one of us, truly one of us. And that's why those details in the Gospels are so important when we read of Jesus knowing thirst and, and hunger and, and loneliness, of his suffering and, and rejection, his shame and death. Jesus fully identifies with us because he was truly human. And because of that, in our pain as believers, Jesus understands and Jesus is pain. In our suffering, Jesus sympathizes and he sympathizes from experience. When people suffer, uh, whether that's in illness or, or grief, often they will find uh, someone else who's gone through the same sort of experience and to draw on encouragement and help and support companions in suffering. Well, here is Jesus, the ultimate companion in suffering for his people. He sympathizes in our weakness. Jesus has also been tested by temptation. Continuing in verse 15, we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. So again, here is Jesus, truly human. Therefore, he experiences true testing, true tempting, and experiences those to a greater degree than we ever will. So often in our own experience, and I'm sure we know this, we, we face a temptation and, and perhaps we resist for a while, but often we don't. But there comes a point often uh, when we fold, we give in to that sinful desire. And so the temptation then is removed because we've fallen, but, but Jesus never falls. He never folded. So the intensity of the temptation uh, only grows and builds, but Jesus remained faithful. And again, the gospel writers uh, don't hide this reality from us. So, so we discover in, in the wilderness the devil tempting Jesus to to seek comfort rather than obedience to to God, to to pursue wealth rather than live for the kingdom of heaven and, and true spiritual treasure. We see him being tempted to power. And then in Gethsemane, the night before the cross, he experiences that temptation to avoid suffering. Uh, to seek uh, glory some other way. So Jesus knows temptation, again, by personal experience. And he is able to give grace and help for us when we are tempted. And he sends the Spirit to his people so that we might say no to sin and yes to choosing righteousness. 
And the third thing to notice uh, from verse 15, which is hugely significant, that we have in Jesus a righteous representative. So Jesus stands with us and has experienced what we have experienced and will experience, yet there's a difference. And it makes all the difference in the world. He did not sin. And that's why in chapter 7, verse 27, we have this important truth. Unlike the other high priests, Jesus does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. So Jesus, again, to be to be one of us, to, to truly represent us, he needs to come under God's moral law. Just as we are called to obey God, to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, so too Jesus must live under that law. And Jesus obeyed it, and Jesus fulfilled it. Where we as people break it, Jesus never did. And as the God-man then, as the great high priest, as he gives himself, not an animal, as a sacrifice... As our great high priest, that that offering has infinite moral value. Because here is the God-man offering himself, covering our infinitely awful sin. As the God-man, Jesus humbled himself as a substitute to be made sin for us, to be made a curse for us, that we might be forgiven and know God's blessing by grace and through faith. Jesus is the only person who's ever walked this earth who does not need rescue. And Jesus alone, of everyone who has ever walked on this earth, is the one who is able to provide our rescue. Because he came as one of us in order to save us. Makes Jesus a great high priest because he represents us as one of us. But beyond solidarity, there's a couple of other things briefly just to notice about uh, the ministry of Jesus, the high priest. Verse 14, let's think about where Jesus represents us. Let's think about uh, this reality. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold firmly to the faith we profess. Um, so here's the, the difference, another difference between Jesus as high priest and, and the Old Testament high priest. They, they, they performed their sacrifices in the temple, which was a representation of um, heaven, God's presence. But where is Jesus acting? He's not acting in the earthly temple. Jesus actually represents us in God's presence, in the presence of his Father. Jesus has unique access as the Son of God, sitting on the throne of heaven. And from there, he's pleading our cause from the Father's right hand. So there is great hope for us when we have a high priest with that unique access to the Father's presence. And, and, and one other thing to notice um, in verse 14 and then in, in chapter 5 as well is to, to think again about how long Jesus represents us for. What's the duration of his priesthood? 
And we're reminded in verse 14, Jesus is the son of God. He is eternal. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 6, you are a priest forever uh, in the order of Melchizedek. Uh, Chapter 7, we didn't read it, but we can go there because it's important. Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. There will never be a point where Jesus stops loving his people. There will never be a point where Jesus stops representing his people. There will never be a point where his sacrifice is not efficient and sufficient for his people. Because he lives forever and serves forever. It's the anchor of our faith. It's the great anchor of our faith. That Christ who came to be in the manger for us is now Christ in glory as high priest for us. And as our great high priest, he secures for us direct access to God. We can boldly approach the throne of grace, as we'll think about in a minute. And that we have in Jesus full pardon of sin because of the value of his sacrifice. We have the right to eternal life. We have all the blessings of salvation that come to us in the gospel because of Jesus serving us as our great high priest. So it's a reminder to us love the book of Hebrews because it's always reminding us to look at Jesus and to hold on to Jesus. And, and here it is again, to just hold on to Jesus Christ who is our anchor and to recognize when we read the Gospels and we read uh, of a man of incredible love and compassion and mercy, a God who loved to, to draw people in, to, to welcome, it's the same Jesus and he has the same heart. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. And so when we find ourselves like um, the folks that the author to the Hebrews is writing to in a time of need, we need to think of Jesus there. We need to think of Jesus, our great high priest, standing for us, sympathizing with us, interceding for us, sending the Spirit to us. There's comfort in Jesus, our great high priest. Um, let's move on to think briefly about what difference uh, does it make for our faith. So verse 15 is the anchor verse. Uh, there are two implications that are tied to it. Um, since this is true of Jesus, the author says, uh, Christians should, uh, to use the language, let us. So two things. The first, let us, is in verse 14. Since Jesus is our great high priest, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And again, that's just to remind us that when the author says hold firmly to our faith, he's not saying hold on to the fact that you have a faith in something. Faith in itself is is worthless, but it's all about the object of our faith. It's the anchor of our faith. So he's telling us hold on to Jesus. Hold on to the one who is our priest king and the, the, the priest in the order of Melchizedek. It's Melchizedek, this enigmatic figure in the book of Genesis who is both priest and king. That's Jesus for us. Jesus who is ruling uh, all things. Jesus who uh, controls all things, who is the head of the church, is Jesus who represents us. 
Jesus who has offered himself as a sacrifice for us. Jesus who intercedes for us. So we are called because of who Jesus is and what he's done to hold firmly to him. I'm sure we appreciate that that need and trouble and suffering will instinctively make us run somewhere. We're looking to find hope somewhere from someone, salvation from somewhere, from someone. For Christians, here is a a reminder to run to Jesus. Always to run to Jesus. In light of his ministry for us. Think about his ministry in the past. Coming into the world to die for us. Think about his ministry in the present. Praying for us, sending the spirit to us. Think about what he's prepared for us in the future. Eternal glory in a world made new. That's why we fix our eyes on him. That's why we look to him for help in times of trouble. To trust him always. And secondly and finally, since Jesus is our great high priest, verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Simply put, since Jesus is our great high priest, let us pray. Let us pray. Let us pray to receive God's grace, the grace of well-timed help. Because when we pray, who are we praying to? We're praying to the king of the universe. It's what the Psalms have been saying to us, what Isaiah was saying to us. We pray to the king of the universe, the one with absolute control, the one with perfect timing. And so we are encouraged because of that to turn to him for mercy in our need and to pray through Jesus, our great high priest, this one who gives us bold access to the throne of grace. Because when we come in the name of Jesus, when our faith is in Jesus, and when we come into the presence of our Father, we do not need to fear being turned away. We do not need to fear condemnation because we are loved in Jesus. We are seen as righteous in Christ. And so we have bold confidence when our confidence is in Jesus. In our need, in our suffering. Sometimes we can content ourselves uh, with drops of, of human sympathy and kindness. And that kindness should never be, be downplayed. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. And we should be profoundly thankful if we have families and, and a Christian family that love and support and, and offer help and comfort. But we always need to remember That when we run to Jesus, we're running to the one who has that eternal well of sympathy and compassion. That ocean of grace and comfort and compassion for us. And so we're invited to trust to God's past grace. To give us hope for future grace. Perhaps at Christmas time to recognize God's grace in sending us Jesus. To trust that that if he has given that great gift, if he has sent his son to die for us, he's not going to abandon us. He's not going to forget us. He's not going to give up on us. Rather, he will be with us and, and for us and for us always. It's a wonderful text and it's a wonderful truth that Jesus 
is our great high priest. Because we need this, because there are times when life is hard, when we are suffering, even amidst all the joy and excitement of Christmas. And and when that happens, we need someone to turn to. We need a place of comfort and refuge and strength. And that place and that person is Jesus. We have that wonderful promise that, that there will be a day when Jesus, our, our priest king, will come back and he'll make everything new and everything sad will come untrue. But until that day, we're invited to keep looking to him, to fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess and let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Because we have Jesus, our great high priest. Let's pray to our Father through Jesus' Son to now. God, our Father, we thank you for your mercy to us in sending your Son to be the Savior we all need. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for acting and continuing to act and forever acting as our great high priest. We thank you that you are able to sympathize with us in weakness and suffering, that you know what it is like to have experienced temptation. But we thank you for your sinless perfection so that you could be for us a perfect representative, a perfect substitute, offering that perfect sacrifice. Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, right now you are praying for your church, that you ever live to intercede for your people. Thank you, Father and Son, that you send the Spirit uh, so that uh, you might dwell in our hearts through faith, uh, that we might know uh, your presence and your love and your comfort. And so, Lord, we pray uh, that you would help us to hold firmly to faith, Uh, to know that we have bold access to your throne of grace in prayer, Uh, that we may be growing in our faith, growing in our joy of belonging to you through Jesus, your Son. Keep us in your love, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we will close uh, singing uh, the Christmas hymn, Once in Royal David's City. So let's stand so that we can sing together.